0: I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another episode. Thank you for joining us. We're at episode 101. Also the same amount of Dalmatians we have between the two of us. So we are living good. We are having a great time. And that was a terrible, terrible joke to start the show off.
1: I wish I had 101 cats. Okay. Actually, no, I don't. Because then I'd probably be on
0: orders. A little bit. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I would say. I'm already halfway there with all the reptiles I have, so we could be on there together. It'd be a <laughs> dual episode. <laughs> but anyway, we're so excited to have you guys. It's still kind of a, a dream that it's past 100 episodes, but we're here. We're doing it. And um, we're just so glad you're here with us. We're so excited. We're going to keep on trekking. We hope the title caught your interest because doesn't that make you think what the hell is a hockey dad killer? Yeah, Did, was it a dad who was a hockey dad and was a murderer? Was it a man who only sought out hockey dads? <laughs> who knows, you'll have to listen to find out. Because it's kind of interesting. Hell yeah, I think this case is crazy. Yeah. It talks a lot about what rage can do. Mhm. That's a good way to describe it. And like spur of the moment like decisions can really ruin people's lives. For sure. And you know what else can ruin people's lives? Sometimes certain feedback that if you're a podcaster or you have any publications and people comment on it, getting negative feedback is kind of, um, well, negative. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel too good. And I think it
1: really stands out because. I think anybody you could get all of the nice words and compliments and oh you guys are great we love what you're doing da da da, da. and then little, little tiny negative just and one and that's the thing that you focus on and that's the thing that really sticks with you yep which is
0: unfortunate right two years in and we still we've had so much love and we've had a lot of great great views and messages and comments that are just so heartwarming and wonderful and they far 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 outweigh the negative but those teeny negative ones they get to us and where it really gets me is where it's not even constructive
1: correct we love constructive criticism hey maybe you guys could do x y and z instead or maybe you know Any kind of constructive
0: criticism. Fine. I'm a little sensitive bitch, but I do appreciate the constructive criticism because all I want to do at the end of the day is make the show better for our listeners.
1: Absolutely. It gives us way to improve on things. It gives us things to reflect on and, you know, how can we do better? How can we enact this constructive criticism into our day-to-day or Mm week-to-week little production that we have as a hobby?
0: Right. Right. And, you know... It's especially jarring when the feedback we could possibly receive is almost like accusatory. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? What are you talking about? And you guys have to remember, we it's just us. We read every single comment and message and review. Like, everything there is, we read it. We see it. And that's fine. And that's great for when we receive, which is often, love. But when we receive the negative stuff, it's like, holy shit, I should go jump right off this bridge let's hold hands and let's do it (laughs) recently we received feedback that it made me chuckle we've received some feedback before that literally makes me laugh oh my god some of them are so fun one of my favorite pieces of feedback that i received you're going to
1: say (laughs) was someone said that we were racist towards white men not really a thing and then it was like the internet is forever, ladies. Yeah. And I was like, well, like, I know the internet is forever. That's why we're putting out the beliefs that we stand by. Amen. And one of the main beliefs that we stand by that is true and factual is that you
0: cannot be racist towards white people. Definitely not white men. As white people are. As so- white people. Also, <laughs> I don't know if that reviewer knew this, but a quick search of our website. We're on the front page. <laughs> you and me, we're both white am i happy that i'm white no (laughs) racism involves
1: oppression white men are the least oppressed yeah but anyway the feedback that we're talking about in particular was one of those that made us chuckle but we were also like
0: what what (laughs) do you want to read it i'll katie's gonna read it for all of our listening pleasure
1: this person let us know that the stories are not organized and many times are not accurate And this person even said, I feel like they are trying to copy Morbid's podcast style. Sorry, not a fan. And we read that and we were like, wow. Katie, have you ever listened to Morbid? Have I heard of them? Of
0: course. They're a huge true crime podcast. I personally have never consumed that podcast. I have also heard of them. And I've heard from people say that we remind them of Morbid. I also have never listened to Morbid once in my life. And not not because it's it's personal but because i've talked about it before i only listen to like when i get like i only listen to my favorite murder and last podcast on the left i just thought it was funny because i texted it to you and i said have you ever listened to morbid and you're like (laughs) no have you no if i'm
1: shocked that we haven't gotten a comment that accuses us of copying my favorite murder because i feel like we just both love that podcast yeah it was one of the main reasons we decided to do our own podcast absolutely and i'm do we copy them? No. Our style is very different. But I'm
0: shocked that that wasn't the podcast that we were accused of I know. copying. I think that's interesting. I know. And then to say our stories are inaccurate. Well, that's also inaccurate. Do we not cite our sources? That's literally why we <laughs> send our sources. That's
1: literally – right. So we aren't accused of, one, plagiarism. Right. And two – so you guys know where to look for this information. And so we know what information comes from where.
0: And so we can best tell you guys a true crime story. Right. So I think we cover all of our bases when we do that. I hope so. Let that us know might, if we aren't. That might just be me. But I thought covering our sources and covering our asses was exactly what we were doing. Also, again, never listen to Morbid. So sorry.
1: I know. Sorry, you're not a fan. This person's definitely not listening to this right now. But yeah, we
0: just thought we'd say we've never listened to Morbid. (laughs) And that our stories are accurate, because we literally cite our sources. And if those sources are inaccurate, then that's not on us. Maybe it's Wikipedia. That's the problem. Well, I mean, some people do have qualms with Wikipedia. I often if I use Wikipedia, usually it's for dates at the very least, or if you scroll down on Wikipedia, there are sources listed at the end. And those are typically like articles from news stations and, you know, newspapers.com and things like that. So that's really what I use Wikipedia for. So, and Murderpedia is a whole different ballgame. If anyone comes for us for using Murderpedia, I'm sorry, I'm like, going to come for them. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> You'll be in next episode of the podcast. One of these days, Katie, they're going to log on and see that there's an an episode called Katie Finally Did It or Liz (laughs) Krat. Just kidding, guys.
1: One of these days, you're going to see a link on our Instagram or an intro. Instead of buying us a coffee, it's going to be buy us a bail fund. Yep. To get one of us out Mm -hmm. of jail. And you know what?
0: There are some people out there who listen to this that I know would absolutely give us like $5 and I love you for it. Thanks, guys. You guys are so good to us. And you have been with our Buy Us A Coffee, our merch that we have launched now. So thank you for your support. We are always so happy to have you guys giving in any way you can. And we don't even want you to give us anything. We want you to just listen. Have fun with it.
1: Yeah. And this is not to tell you guys not to give us feedback, even if it is negative. We love any kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. But again, if you possibly could make it constructive so that we can act on that feedback and make improvements, that would be fabulous instead of just, I don't know, making letting it- us know
0: that we suck. Yeah. Making us feel bad. Yeah, Like we're two people. Do you know that, guys? Behind the voices. I know it's hard because this is an audio medium, but we are people white people for that one review that thought we were racist um against white people but you know and like again kitty you're right we appreciate any and all feedback truly but making it constructive is the best way to give feedback and i'm not alone in that
1: fact yeah you could even do what i learned in class is to give feedback in a sandwich so you start off with the two pieces of bread that are positive right so you start off hey, I. you look really nice today. There was that one time where you did something that hurt my feelings, and it would be great if you didn't do that again. Love you. You're a great friend. Like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah. Positive, positive, and the negative in between. That's right. the best way to, to deliver it, at least verbally. But sure. do whatever you guys want to do. We're here for ya. you. You yeah. guys are here for us. Thanks for listening.
0: Yeah. Um, again, I believe over the, the years, I can't believe I can say that now, the years, we've taken constructive criticism mm. and we've rolled with it we have fixed a lot of things. We have done a lot of improvements. Also remember, we both have two full-time jobs <laughs> and lives.
1: We kind of aren't going with some people's constructive feedback right now because this intro is going to be a little long and some people have told us to quit yapping and get to the true crime. But Which we
0: have. And we're getting there. We're getting there. Just we have considerably knocked down all of our intros, much to the real fans' chagrin. And I know we can't we can't please everybody, but, you know, and we've got new sound equipment and new sound editing software. So we're improving as much as we can. And I don't know why I'm yelling at you guys, because you guys are the ones who are nice to us. So thank you for your support. We love you guys. You're the best. And this podcast, it's worth it. It's totally worth it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And you know what else is a lot of fun? Not this episode, because the case is really fucked up. Yeah. Hockey's a lot of fun. We'll talk about hockey for a little bit. Hockey's pretty fun. Hockey is also notoriously violent. Yeah. Which is great for those who like hockey, I guess. It's pretty entertaining when NHL players start pummeling on each other. But there's a little bit of that in this episode, that's for sure. Yeah. So stick around. And without further ado, today we will be covering the The Hockey Hockey Dad Dad Killer. Katie, can you uh, maybe tell me what your sources were for today? Yeah, of course. We got to cite them every time. As we should, because our stories are inaccurate. Go ahead. I have Wikipedia. Boo. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: I also have CNN, ABC News, New York Times, vanceholmes.com, and Law Perfect. Law Justia, man, I'm telling you. How is that an inaccurate source? It's literally a court document and we love those. You guys are real ones if you know how we feel about court documents.
0: Well, I'll raise you one law justia and also give you a find law. Is it a case law find law? It is actually. Oh, listen. We love those. And again, court documents. So they're legit. So I have those too. I have an article from CNN, an article from Mass Live, an article by Vance Holmes through Poetic Justice is the website. I also have an article from Midland Reporter Telegraph, New York Times, Current Obituary, and an article from Wicked Local. Amazing. I just kept... There's a lot of little pieces I was just trying to put together. So... Katie, it would behoove me if you started us off by telling us the day in question. Great vocab word. Thank you. Of course. I went to class sometimes.
1: On July 5th, 2000... 43 year old Thomas Jenta had taken one of his two sons to the Burbank Skating Arena in Reading, Massachusetts. Not Reading, it's pronounced Reading for those of you outside of New England, which is just north of Boston. 10 year old Quinlan, who was Thomas Jenta's hockey participating son, was there for a practice that was more along the lines of a scrimmage. Yeah. So not an official game, not really an official practice. It was a mix of the two where they could take their skills out on the ice against another team. Just really, it's supposed to be for fun. Yeah, Building skills for fun. Another dad, 40-year-old Michael Coston, was also there with his three sons, and he was supervising the entire practice as kind of a referee.
0: So he was out physically on the ice with these kids. These kids were young. They were like 10- 12, 13. So they were too young to not have somebody like watching over them. Yes. I know plenty of like college players and maybe even high school can scrimmage without really having like a coach or a referee, rather. So he was just there watching over them. That was like what he, you know, that was his role. He probably really liked hockey. Yeah. And just
1: like casual kids' teams, like how many of us have played on a kiddie league or something? I remember I was on a soccer team with one of my best friends and her dad was quote-unquote, the coach. Right. Right. It was just parents, volunteers, parents that liked the sport. They wanted to participate more with their kids, get more involved. Absolutely. Pretty casual. Yeah. While Thomas Gento was up in the stands watching the practice, he started to notice that things were getting a little rough out on the ice. He felt as though Michael was encouraging the other team, specifically his three sons, Mm -hmm. to check Hit and slash at the other players. So, because these are children, right. And it's a casual kids, you know, hockey game, right. Not even a real game. Thomas went down to talk to Michael and just let him know, I feel like things are getting kind of rough. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't be encouraging this rough behavior. You should be the one telling them to cool it. It's just a game. Everybody Mm -hmm. play nice.
0: I'm pretty sure checking is typically not allowed up until like, College level hockey—that's um, pr- it's pretty brutal. I'm almost positive it's when they like shove them into the walls of the or, like the rink.
1: Yeah, it's or do a little, little like side
0: slam or yes. something hit into somebody. Yes, it's very violent.
1: Yeah. So when Thomas went to chat with Michael, who was essentially the referee out on the ice, mm-hmm. Michael told him,
0: "Quote, that's hockey." Okay, true, but they're also Quinlan is ten, and. Michael's boys were like thirteen ish, you know. So there was a little bit of an age difference. And we do know at that point in a kid a male kid's life, puberty can be wherever and somebody could be really tall compared to, you know, the size difference can be quite vast.
1: Yeah. And I feel like that's pretty common with kids sports. Like yeah oh, that person's a freshman and they're racing against a senior and that's, that's not fair. Or, yeah, this person is 13 and he had his growth spurt already and my little kid is 9, just on the cusp of 10. And, right, right, You know, kid sports can get a little competitive. Right. So a little bit later after this first confrontation, the practice had ended and all of the boys went to the locker room, Thomas and Michael got into it again and started exchanging words you know, off of the course of, you know, their kids. It's, it's hockey. Yeah, sure, right, right. but it was a little rough. I just felt like things could have been better handled. And then it actually turned into a physical fight.
0: Yeah, it sounded like there was some shoving, some pushing, some perhaps arms going up.
1: Yeah. So a witness said that Michael had gotten into Thomas's face, pulling at his shirt, and necklace, actually trying to choke him with the necklace, and kicking at his shins and feet. But the thing about this was that Michael was wearing ice skates. He was wearing full hockey gear. So that's like a three-inch blade. Yeah. And he's kicking with the blade. Yeah. And Thomas is wearing, like, dad sneakers and jeans. Right. So that's a little excessive. I agree. So other adults at the rink had to run over and physically break up the fight and pull these two grown-ass men off of each other yeah thank god for that part all of the kids were in the locker room yes thomas left the arena he took a break outside he's catching his breath he's probably talking to himself like oh this guy he's got a load of this yeah i I don't know know. in his dad new balances or whatever but (laughs) he realized while he was outside taking a breather that his son the whole reason he's there in the first place was still in the locker room right So he's thinking, oh, shit, it's been a couple minutes. I better go see if Quinlan's done getting changed and let's just get out of here. Yeah. Thomas came back inside the arena and Nancy Blanchard, who was an assistant at the arena, said that Thomas looked very angry and physically pushed her aside with such force Mm -hmm. that it later allegedly left a bruise.
0: Yeah. And this is kind of, we'll talk about it a little. It's a little contested. Mm -hmm. Um, Regardless, it sounds like it can be confirmed that he pushed past her in a way maybe not physically pushed but like he stalked past her he was clearly on a mission yeah is what it sounds like
1: thomas then later found michael Yes, he found him yes now according to thomas and thomas's son quinlan michael again attacked him first by swinging at him Mm. which okay like you started the fight according to them right Michael was still wearing his full hockey gear, but even though he was in full hockey gear, he weighed about 160 pounds soaking wet. Right.
0: He was a thin man. While Thomas weighed in at 270 pounds. Not soaking wet. Dry. So it's like, that is a pretty large difference. And Thomas was 6'1", and I believe Michael was somewhere in the mid-fives. Even if he was like more like the high fives, that's a pretty big difference in weight alone. So I think that's pretty significant. For sure. According to witnesses, Michael had swung at Thomas
1: and kind of threw himself on Thomas's back almost. Yeah. And Thomas very quickly overpowered Michael, flipped him onto his back. Yeah. And then started straddling him, got on top of him and began throwing punches.
0: And I was thinking about this too when I was reading it. I was picturing... How that might have looked, and I—I've been to ice skating rinks. We've gone as like on field trips yeah. there, and as elementary school, middle school, whatever. You have the ice rink, which is very hard. It's a hard surface, right? And then all of the surfaces around the ice rink that aren't ice are like a hard concrete floor. So if you're gonna flip a man onto his back, and he was attacking you, fine, okay, I I'm defensive onto this concrete floor. That's And you're 100 pounds plus bigger than him. That's going to do some damage.
1: Right. Regardless of whether or not the guy you're flipping onto the concrete is in full hockey gear. Right. It's still not going to really help the situation. No. So the amount of times that Thomas hit Michael varies pretty drastically based off of who you ask. Really, really drastically. Thomas himself and his son Quinlan, as well as, like, a couple other witnesses at the arena, because by now there's a scene. Of course. There's multiple people there. Yeah, There's other parents, multiple other children, people using the rink recreationally. So, like, a crowd is forming. Right. A couple other witnesses said that Thomas hit Michael about two to three times. Right. Other witnesses said it was up to
0: 20 times. That's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And again, honestly, to this day, we don't really know. Yeah. There was no surveillance cameras. Um, at least the footage was never recovered if there was. So it's, we really don't know, which I think is part of the worst part for both sides. For sure. But scary, especially when there's all these little kids around, little kids, and they're watching their dads fight. Ugh. The rink employee, Nancy,
1: said that she and other people kept screaming at Thomas to stop. Like, they're screaming. They're saying, stop, stop. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. He's not fighting back. Right. Because initially, of course, Michael was seen trying to fight back, kicking, flailing, moving around. He was being straddled right. by a large man. Who weighs more than 100 pounds more than him. Right. And he's also in full hockey gear, so that's awkward. And probably very difficult to breathe. hmm Wow. By the time Thomas was finally pulled off of Michael, Michael was motionless. Yeah. A key part of the fight was that after Michael stopped fighting back and stopped moving completely, Thomas did not stop hitting him. Right.
0: So Thomas had the initiative to walk away after he was pulled off. And he went outside and he was sitting there and he was huffing and puffing and, you know, he was... Probably, like you said earlier, talking to himself like fucking this piece of shit, you know, um, shaking out his fist, maybe. I don't know. It was then that Sergeant James Cormier, which I do want to point out is the name of one of my cousins, not the same person, but that really, I was like, what? Jimmy, why are you here? Um, But James Cormier was the first police officer to arrive on scene, and he noticed Thomas outside. And he described Thomas as having a cut on his face, and part of his shirt had been torn up. I think they even said, like, one of his sleeves on his shirt was gone. So, okay. Clearly, Michael did something, too. Yeah. And at that first fight, when the kids
1: were in the locker room still, and Michael approached Thomas and was kicking at him with the skate, they said
0: that he did pull on his shirt. So he clearly pulled on his shirt hard. Right, right. Cormier asked Thomas if he had been one of the people in the fight. Probably a good question, given his state. And, you know, Thomas said, yes, I was. And then Cormier asked where the other person was. And Thomas replied that he was inside, quote, laying down. Okay. All right. Because I guess as far as Thomas knew, he was pulled off of Michael and Michael was still on the ground and he turned around and he left waiting for police. He knew police were coming. Michael was still splayed on the floor, surrounded both children there for ice skating and employees of the rink when EMTs arrived. Unfortunately, Michael's injuries were quite extensive. He was taken to a nearby hospital. He was given advanced life support, put on a ventilator. But unfortunately, the next day, he died due to his injuries.
1: Yeah, he was actually pronounced brain dead, like minutes after he got to the hospital. Yeah. They declared him brain dead.
0: Which is, you know, it's always hard to hear as a family because brain dead, you want to have some kind of hope because they're still breathing. Yeah. There's still a pulse. There's, you know, but brain dead, I mean, it really, that's very, very unlikely to come back from that. It was not too long after this that Thomas was arrested. He was charged with voluntary manslaughter. Thomas Junta's trial began in January of 2002, and he faced 20 years in prison for the death of Michael Coston as they were pursuing, just like you said, Katie, a voluntary manslaughter charge. There were a large amount of witnesses to this fight, obviously, and depending on whose side was talking, was who started it first. Naturally, the defense said that Michael was the aggressor in that he threw the first punch and therefore it was self-defense for thomas to fight back the prosecution however of course was saying that thomas threw the first punch making him the aggressor and then he got the upper hand on michael because of his size and beat him mercilessly to death that was the two arguments anyone could have guessed that that's the way they would have gone The prosecution's main argument revolved around the fact that Thomas was six foot one and weighed over a hundred pounds more than Michael, which ultimately, quote, proved that Thomas knowingly chose a fight because he knew he would win. I think that was their main pursuant because they were like, obviously, this guy knew his size and knew Michael's size, and maybe he was just hungry to win because obviously he would. That's what they were saying. Is that true? Maybe. Hard to say. Can't deny the fact that he's giant compared to Michael. Right. So, but then the defense would fire back and say that, to be fair, Michael was wearing full hockey gear plus skates. So that does give him a little bit of an upper hand, you would think, at least. So there was just a lot of give and take for each side. Some of the witnesses who testified were children who had been at the hockey rink, and that included both Thomas and Michael's sons. According to Thomas' son, who was the one attending the hockey practice, he had two sons, but this was Quinlan, Michael was wearing ice skates and was kicking at his dad. He also claimed that at one point, Michael ended up on Thomas's back, and so he flipped Michael, and that is how he ended up on the ground, and that is when Thomas began to punch. And despite, you know, obviously this is the son of the person being charged, it seems like that account is fairly accurate, as that is what most of the witnesses said. Mm -hmm. Quinlan also added that Thomas hit Michael, quote, three quick times. So this is where one of the accounts mentions a number of punches, which not all of them did. But he, according to Quinlan, Thomas hit Michael three times.
1: Brendan, the oldest son of Michael, stated, quote, I can still remember being hysterical, trying to wake him up and the blood streaming down his face. Ugh. His younger son, Michael Jr., stated, No matter how much of a sentence you give to Thomas Jenta, my dad got more. Please teach Thomas Jenta a lesson. Please let the world know that a man can't do what Thomas Jenta did to my dad. That's awful. Yeah. So theirs was less of an account of what had happened and more of like an emotional account, just because I think that these kids were still grieving the traumatic loss of
0: their dad. Absolutely. The prosecution also questioned a 12-year-old girl who had been there at the skating rink taking an ice skating lesson that day. She told the court that she had witnessed the two men shoving each other and that Thomas had started to leave but came back and, quote, tackled Costin and threw him to the ice. She said that she saw several punches to the face, about three, she said, and claimed that Thomas had been straddling Michael, which, again, sounds like at least the straddling was a factor. The prosecution's side of the argument painted Thomas as a villain and an aggressor and brought forth several witnesses who spoke of the incident in Michael's favor. One of the star witnesses for the prosecution was a woman named Virginia Brings who had been there with her grandkids that day. She said that she saw the fight happen and her story matched enough with other witnesses where she also claimed like the other witnesses that Thomas had left and then come back to fight Michael she also remembers screaming at Thomas to stop, including yelling out, he's not responding, he's not responding, don't hit him anymore. Which is, ooh. Wow. Virginia also told the court that she witnessed Thomas continuously hit Michael even after he stopped defending himself. Which is what you said earlier, Katie, mm-hmm. that he kind of lay motionless. Right, and that's
1: not great either, because that would mean that it, even if it was self-defense, okay, you can only argue that to a certain point. How is it self-defense then, if the person you're supposedly defending yourself from is laying on the ground motionless? Yeah, like, literally not moving, not fighting back, not even sure if he's breathing at like that
0: point. You did your job. You did what Absolutely. you intended to do. One hundred percent. An employee at the skating rink, Nancy Blanchard, which you mentioned already, claims she not only saw the fight, but she also was physically pushed aside by Thomas as he angrily stormed back into the arena to get his kids, or maybe to finish the job. Who knows? Nancy said she saw Thomas, quote, put his left knee on Michael's left shoulder and that he gripped Michael's head in his left hand while he continuously punched his head and neck. She recalls screaming, you're going to kill him. Dr. Stanton Kessler
1: of the Commonwealth's Office of the Chief Medical Examiner performed the autopsy and determined that there had been two areas of severe trauma, The first was to the base of the neck where the vertebral artery ruptured, and this had cut off one-fourth of the blood supply to the brain. That is nasty. Essentially, that is the equivalent of a massive, massive stroke. Yeah. There was also internal trauma to the left side of the head above the ear. The second injury, which was unrelated to the rupture of the vertebral artery, was said to have resulted in severe and serious bleeding of the brain a cavity in the brain quote was shaken up so badly that these little vessels tore and bled deep in the brain so this is like significant hemorrhaging essentially in the brain you do not want any kind of bleeding in your brain not even the little tiny prick this is massive absolutely dr kessler also ruled that the cause of death was quote blunt head and neck trauma as well as contributory factor of bronchopneumonia which is essentially fluid in the lungs so he basically, he was drowning, which is very scary. He also concluded that this was the result of multiple blows, especially due to the tearing of the ligaments, quote, almost tearing the head from the neck. And this was most likely done when the neck was in a hyperextended position. Yeah. So it seems like Michael had his head back. leaned back and that maybe his chin was pointed up towards the sky or towards, you know, the roof of the arena. Sure but that his head and his neck were hyperextended back. And then he sustained a punch that further brought him back Mm -hmm. and resulted in the significant tearing. Right. He also had 15 areas in total Mm -hmm. that were injured uh, on top of the two major life-threatening, life ending injuries. There was extensive swelling around the entire left ear, abrasions on both cheeks, a contusion over the left eyebrow, a bruised nose, a large hemorrhage in the muscle on the left shoulder, Oof. multiple abrasions to the hands, probably from both punching Thomas back and trying to block it. Sure. A hemorrhage to the lower back and a hemorrhage to the right side of the upper thigh. Ugh. Which is crazy to me that he's having all of these hemorrhaging and abrasions and contusions to areas that are not his face. Right. Because that really shows how hard he was being punched despite him being in full hockey gear. Right. It sounds like the hemorrhages, too, in maybe, like, the left shoulder, the lower back, the right side of the upper thigh could have been sustained when he was thrown onto the concrete.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was, of course, the prosecution's medical expert. The defense's medical expert was a man named Dr. Ira Canfer. He testified that Michael's cause of death was the rupture of the vertebral artery. True. True. But it was a fairly rare injury and it, quote, could be caused by minimal force. So Ira, sorry, Dr. Ira is claiming that while he did have his artery ruptured, just a single punch could do the trick. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, exactly what you said. If Thomas say had punched him just once Mm -hmm. with his neck hyperextended, sure. That didn't seem to be the case, though. Near the end of the trial, Thomas took the stand to testify in his own words. Thomas recounted that he fought with Michael because he, quote, was coming at me like crazy, and that the whole fight happened, quote, real fast, a few seconds, in which he threw three punches. Thomas was then cross examined and claimed he did not recall one, Nancy Blanchard telling him to not come back to the rink after the first half of the fight, two, Pushing Nancy aside and causing a bruise on her arm. And three, he didn't recall Nancy, or anyone else for that matter, yelling at him to stop. Which, I'm not trying to be devil's advocate, but I can understand that a little bit because of the adrenaline. That's just a scientific fact. Absolutely. But that's a lot of things to not recall. According to an affidavit from September of 1991, Thomas's wife at the time, Michelle, reported physical and verbal abuse in front of their two small children and a family friend. The judge found this interesting in the worst way and said in court that, quote, it was not the first time Mr. Junta struck another adult in front of minor children. Damn. Which is a good point, to be fair. Why? Wow. The defense tried to play a similar case with Michael bringing up the fact that he had been taking antidepressants and had roughly a dozen pills in his pockets after the fight. They were found in his pockets, which is interesting. I don't think taking antidepressants is a fair argument. I take antidepressants. The weird part is, though, all the pills in his pocket. I do not carry loose pills in my pocket. No,
1: that's bizarre. That
0: is very bizarre. But they also, they never said what kind of pills. It literally could have been Tylenol. It could have been still weird. Why were they loose? But- Doesn't mean he was taking drugs. Right. Doesn't mean that he's, like,
1: high as fuck out on the ice with children. Right. Like, I don't know what they're trying to say with
0: that. Right. There also was a noted history for Michael of violent behavior that resulted in more than one stay at a psychiatric facility. They did not elaborate any further on when that was, how long they were, if he had gone rehabilitation, etc., etc. So, you know.
1: Jurors deliberated for over 13 hours over the course of two days before reaching their decision. Many of the jurors were torn and they wanted a harsher sentence for Thomas, but they ended up going with the lighter sentence, especially as this was technically Thomas's first offense. Mm -hmm. Thomas was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter on January 12, 2002, and sentenced to six to ten years in prison. Martha Coakley, the Middlesex County District Attorney, said that she was satisfied with the jury's conclusion, but that if they had gone with voluntary manslaughter, Thomas would have received a sentence of 8 to 12 years as opposed to the initial kind of talk of 20 years. Right. Martha stated, quote, we have had the goal of holding Thomas Jenta responsible for the death of Michael Coston. Unfortunately, tonight there are two sets of children at home without fathers. There is no joy, therefore, in this resolution. Our hope tonight is that if there is any good to come of this, is that we will not see another parent on the autopsy table as a result of parental rage over children's sports. It's a very powerful statement. Michael Coston's family was also satisfied with the sentence, and his sister Mary Barbuzi stated, We believe justice has been served. Our prayers will be with the Genta family. Our family will be trying to move beyond this tragedy.
0: Thomas served a total of roughly eight years in prison before being released in August of 2010. Of note, in 2009, Michael Coston's son, Michael Coston Jr., who did testify at the trial and was there when his dad died, was sentenced to 18 months in jail after he pled guilty to beating his girlfriend and then stealing her car. Holy shit. Yeah. That is not all. In February of 2011, not a year after his dad was released from jail, Quinlan, who was now 21, was arrested after a warrant was issued that charged him with home invasion, armed robbery, assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, as well as conspiracy to commit a crime. Fun fact. Quinlan was arrested along with a friend after a 19-year-old that they knew was pistol-whipped and then robbed of roughly $800. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And this was supposedly a drug deal. Like a drug-related problem. Interestingly enough, in October of that same year, eight-ish months later, Quinlan died. Of unknown causes. At least unknown to the public.
1: Oh my god.
0: My guess would be drugs or suicide.
1: I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Holy shit, right? So you truly can argue that this case and seeing their dads beat the fuck out of each other and then having Michael die? Yeah. That was so traumatic for both these boys. Like You could argue that their
0: rough adulthood and their own criminal history could be related to this incident. Honestly, I think it might be because that's really something terrible to witness as a child. Interestingly, also, I saw somewhere that This was not super unfamiliar with the Coston family because Michael, growing up, he had a lot of brothers. And when he was younger, his dad was convicted of manslaughter because he killed his one of his sons. And so now how ironic is it that his son was killed in involuntary manslaughter? Jesus. Mm -hmm. In December of 2020, Thomas Junta died of pancreatic cancer. Now, here's my question to you, Katie. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, which means he didn't necessarily – he wasn't premeditated. He didn't necessarily fight him in order, like, with the end goal of killing him. That would be involuntary manslaughter or voluntary manslaughter. What do you think was the right move? Do you think he's super guilty? Do you think – what do you think about his sentence?
1: Oh, man. I think that initially, it sounds like Michael was the aggressor physically. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, when the two men had confronted each other, when the boys were in the locker room, the Mm -hmm. first confrontation, that got physical at least. Yeah. Michael had grabbed his shirt. Right. He was kicking at him with the ice skating blades. Grabbed his necklace. Yes, tried to choke him with the necklace. We saw the ripped shirt. Right. Or we didn't see it. We learned about, right. we talked about the ripped shirt, yeah. the cut on Thomas's face. Right. And it seems like Michael came at him a second time. I don't want to, you know, point fingers, but no, I'm wondering no. if it's maybe like a little man syndrome, if he's oh, kind of short and Interesting. A, little, a little dude and just sure. mad and trying to, you know, who do you think you are, telling me how to be the referee. and Right. In front of his sons. Right. Right. And I think that Thomas... Got carried away. I don't think that he did intend to kill Michael, especially not in front of his children and any of the kids there. Right. Um, I think that he might have just gotten carried away. And sometimes when people are in the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. they might black out or just the adrenaline. And it's really, really, really hard to get someone to stop or to stop yourself in that moment. Right. So I really think that he just got carried away in the heat of the moment. And it seems like he has remorse. Mm-hmm. I hope he has remorse. Yeah. Um, but in some of the court, Testimony I
0: saw it really did seem like he felt bad and he didn't intend for that to happen. I saw that too. That he was often, you know, he was wiping his eyes, he was crying. He when he left the stand after testifying, he was crying and you know wiping his eyes and sniffling. And I I agree with everything you said. I think he didn't mean to kill him. Yeah, but he did.
1: Exactly. He got carried away. And at the end of the day, it was over a children's not even a real hockey game. It was over a children's hockey scrimmage, right? that someone ended up dead right that's crazy very unnecessary yeah yeah and you see it all the time with little kids like kicking a soccer ball around Mm -hmm. and then there's some crazy dad on the side that's Mm -hmm. like fuck you you don't get to tell my kid how he can kick the ball my kid's better than yours Mm -hmm. let's go out back let's go to the different soccer field and i'll show you how it's done all the time parents get so carried away over their children Truly. And it's like, these parents are projecting themselves onto their kids. Like, I want my kid to be the next uh, famous sports player. I don't
0: know. Uh, Zdeno Chara, if you want to talk hockey. The next Zdeno Chara. Yeah. That's what you meant to say, right? Sure
1: thing. <laughs> and these parents just get carried away, but really I do, do think that Thomas's intentions were good. I mean, the only reason the conflict started to begin with was that he was concerned for his sons and the other right. kids on the ice's well-being because he thought that Michael was encouraging checking and right. hitting and slashing, and right. he went to
0: go make sure the kids were okay. Right. And it just escalated so, so badly. Yep. I think ultimately, he definitely deserved to serve time in prison for sure i think maybe he i would not be mad if he served longer he did take a life i'm with you i don't think he should have been in jail forever though i think you know there is definitely a sentence you have to carry out when you kill someone even if it is an accident but still what he did was horrible and it's just such a good reminder of to not get so worked up over a child's sports
1: game Right. Or even anything. I can't imagine what could possibly be worth
0: the loss of a life. Of a dad. Of a brother. Of a son. Doesn't matter. Right. In front of children. Of his own children, I think, is part of the worst aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, I want to know what you think about this case and what you think should have been done with Thomas Junta. Because I, it's a lot, there's a lot you could say that could have happened, that should have happened. Do you think his charge was too generous? Do you think he should have gotten more time? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at True Crime Oh, lowercase. Or you can send us an email with your thoughts at truecrimany at gmail.com. We, of course, have a
1: website, truecrimene.com. You could go to our contact page, use our handy-dandy submission tool to let us know your thoughts on this case, other cases we have covered, perhaps. If you would like to suggest a case to us based in New England, please, you can use that handy-dandy submission tool. Leave your name if you so choose. You could be anonymous if you so choose. If you do leave your name and we decide to cover the case that you suggest, we'll get a little shout out at the top of the episode. And
0: yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. We're so thankful for you, and if you really do like us, you can head over to our website, like Katie just said, and check out our new store where we have some merch for you guys to buy, and uh, we would really appreciate it if you even just checked it out, considered it.
1: Yes, we would also appreciate you sharing your thoughts in the form of a rating or a review. You could go to Spotify, if that is your preferred listening platform, and leave us a star rating. You could head over to Apple Podcasts, if you're more of an Apple Podcast kind of listener, and leave us a star rating and or a written review. And with that, we'll see you
0: next week. Bye. Goodbye.